Salutations, Starlights, and Ave Babylon. Please receive my warm welcome to this show, Babylon Rising, a queer podcast about liberatory magic, art, and the occult. This episode, I'm quite excited to speak about curses and baneful magic. I figured this would be a great topic to focus on these next few days as of this recording of this episode. We're on the cusp of Halloween, All Souls Day, and All Saints Day, uh, a very dark and spooky time of the year, at least for the northern northern hemisphere, if you were to ask me. Um, I'm sure you're aware that this is a time of the year where many witches, occultists, and folk magicians alike are remembering and reflecting. We remember our lost loved ones and ancestors, of course, and we reflect on the year up until this point. And this kind of deep reflection can be scary or daunting, of course, but this is also a time of the year associated with not just the darkness as I normally mean it in these show episodes, um, and normally what I mean by the darkness is, you know, the darkness of self-reflection, death, and transformation, but this time of the year is also associated with the darkness of baneful, evil, or black magic. That's for a few reasons, mostly to do with the demonization of the work of women, witches, femmes, folk healers, and magicians, and indigenous spiritual practices um, of all different kinds, um, mainly by the Catholic Church. And this is still perpetuated to this very day, um, albeit it looks very different than it did back in uh, ye olden days. These various groups through time, these various marginalized groups through time, have been seen as degenerate, as deviant, as the other, and our gathering was seen as a horrifying omen for the status quo. (laughs) Back to curses, of course. Um, In contemporary pop witchcraft, curses are quite controversial, and it used to be incredibly taboo until pretty recently. I mean, when I first got into this stuff through, like, you know, basically the earlier version of what I would now call contemporary pop witchcraft, it was pretty taboo because people, like, didn't want to admit that they did it because they, they were fronting like they never had or would, or people who didn't necessarily have any moral qualms with it on a fundamental basis still wouldn't feel comfortable sharing because, um, not just for like, you know, the whole law of silence thing that a lot of witches have going on, but just, you know, for fear of severe ridicule, it was just not something people spoke about, uh, unless it was to say how, you know, horrible it was, generally speaking. I mean, you know, keep in mind though that contemporary pop witchcraft doesn't even come close to representing the full breadth of occultism in its existence, and oftentimes more folk, hereditary, or indigenous practices like make space for baneful magic, that they really recognize that that is a part of the human experience, conflict, and distaste or disdain for others. That sort of we go through periods like that, and there's no need to really repress those urges. That's honestly very, you know. Christian of us to do, you know, ironically. Um, Unfortunately, like, contemporary pop witchcraft has a ginormous profit incentive to be 
respectable and palatable to normies with disposable income or cash to burn. You know, contemporary pop witchcraft is sort of, you know, adjacent to like the self-help industry, which is also very, very profitable. New self-help books are coming out all the freaking time. You're paying lots of money for these books. It really adds up. You're buying Gwyneth Paltrow, like Yoni eggs, like th these kind of, these worlds are colliding and this is sort of the disaster it has become, right? Um, you know, because of this huge profit incentive, really watering down what these practices can mean outside of that profit incentive, that means, you know, contemporary pop witchcraft tends to stick to what's popular like glue and trim off anything too distasteful. Um, trim off anything that is too distasteful to what ends up being white hegemony, basically. This stuff needs to appeal to white hegemony so that people will purchase it. That's essentially how I would describe what happened to trad Wicca, or British traditional Wicca, traditional Wicca, however you want to say it exactly. How else would a vibrant, young, fertility and nature mystery cult start to feel contrived and shallow? It's really the effects of, you know, capital making the stuff, you know, more advertiser friendly, you know? It's not advertiser friendly for a bunch of weirdos to, like, gather up naked talking about cursing poachers, you know? That's not very profitable. As always, the culprit, once again, is consumption-based witchcraft. And if you're new to the show, consumption-based witchcraft is witchcraft or occult products, services, or institutions whose primary goal is profit above all else. Um, it's really certainly the cancer of our modern age, um, and it's something we really have to, I think we really should confront, you know, in the community because uh, it's so distressing for a lot of people and it's so destructive, generally speaking. And you know what? What is so distasteful about baneful magic? Well, most likely the fact that magic in general is a kind of power anyone can become adept in. And if anyone can curse anyone else, marginalized people might choose to wield this power against either the systems of oppression that bind them or individuals in their lives who are representatives of those systems and who wield its power. Um, and that's just not a good look for people who, you know, want as much power as possible all for themselves. That is like, I think that's why I like these types of like insanely powerful people either like really believe in magic or they really really don't because they either have to believe that they have all the magic that only they can have that because they can only have every other kind of power so that only makes sense to them or they have to believe that it's like completely fake because they can't even conceptualize a kind of power that they don't own okay so baneful magic i want to get a definition out there of course is magic that is used to curse, to bind, to jinx, or hex. Um, parfait malfaisant. Oh my gosh, why did I throw that French in there? It really threw me off. parfait malfaisant. Uh, generally, magic you would use against others with some kind of malintent. Um, you know, to screw somebody over, to get them to leave you alone, to get them to break up with your sister, to make them lose their job or get fired. I don't know, make them trip. Um, you could honestly get someone to end up in all manner of wrong place, wrong time situations if you're 
adept enough, to be honest. Like I said, if you want to, you know, screw somebody over and you want to use magic to do it, regardless of righteousness, it's some baneful ass magic, Starlights. Regardless of the fact that I am not checking if every curse a fellow occultist has thrown out there has been completely percent justified, the truth is, I think at least, that there is a righteous fury in our presence, and it's a culmination of the fury of many people, both alive and dead, and over a great length of time. People want vengeance, they want justice, they want what's right, um, and I'm sure that you can most likely sense this, but you don't exactly need to have any kind of psychic abilities to do so. People want to use baneful magic in their pursuit of justice, or for any other reason for that matter, and people have always wanted to use baneful magic anyways. All of this is to say that I don't care why you want to use this kind of stuff, um, but there are a lot of good reasons out there aside from just, you know, petty squabbles and some twisted desire for the suffering of others. I think that if you're a magician, if you're a witch, if you're an occultist, if that's who you are and that's what you do, you and you've decided to, like, jinx somebody or hex them or whatever, um, you've probably sorted through your reasoning and I, I'm just gonna have to trust your judgment on this. I'm, I'm not one to judge and I definitely credit our community with more thoughtfulness than the general uh, public. Um, that's a little bit of my own bias though, of course. I'm sure there are lots of people in our community who are incredible dunces, but you know what, generally speaking, the benefit of the doubt is where I stand. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't matter because you do you is really the point. <laughs> um, I would hope that the liberatory potential of baneful workings should be very clear at this point. You know, baneful workings can serve as a tool towards justice and equity, um, as well as for revenge or vengeance or whatever. Side note, when I was um, writing this episode, and I was doing some research on the difference between vengeance and revenge. Um, from what I understand, um, one, they both are supposed to mean the same thing. I think one is derivative of the other, uh, and that is sort of a righteous justice that you're pursuing, sort of. Um, but apparently in usage, typically one tends to mean something a lot more personal, and one tends to mean something less personal and more righteous. That's just something interesting to think about um, when I'm thinking about talking about justice and vengeance and revenge. Like, Batman. <laughs> Why am I bringing up Batman? I feel like if you're an occultist, you love DC Comics. That's what I feel like. But in the Batman animated movies, and the DC animated films, Batman has a saying that he says to Robin, his son Robin, out of all the Robins, I mean the one that's his biological son, um, and he says, you know, you know, Damien, it's justice, not vengeance. But personally, in real life, I think they're really similar, um, and I think that's just something interesting um, that I wanted to point out that I noticed um, along the way to the creating of this episode. I don't know, it's just some food for thought. As a femme myself, personally, I find 
comfort and strength in this kind of work, um, curse work that is. I'm not always in a position where I can get revenge or retaliate for the sake of myself or others in the mundane world. Often, I think if you're any kind of marginalized person, if you're uh, black or queer, um, or, you know, really any kind of queer, in fact, if you're any kind of queer that isn't respectable and palatable with money and some kind of proximity to whiteness, um, then I think that I would, in my opinion, say that you are a liar and you like to hide shit. Um, not in the way that, like, bigots think, and not in a judgmental way, it's just a survival tactic, you know? Sometimes you gotta be sneaky if you want to maintain certain aspects of your life while being queer or trans or whatever. Um, curses are a part of that for me. They help me to exact my will through the power of the immaterial realm in a world where I can't fully reveal myself or my motives, lest I, you know, piss off the wrong person in a public space or, you know, a private space for that matter, and end up beaten up or worse. So how would you curse somebody or something? I actually think that the answer to this can be simplified to the bare-bones formula for most other magic. Generally speaking, of course, um, you know, call forth and raise the energy, give that energy a form, a purpose, and finally, send it out to do your bidding. In addition, you'll most likely need, you know, the object um, that you want to jinx or whatever, or a representation of the person or institution you want to curse, as well as some element of the spell representing who would, or what you would like to happen, okay? It's important to keep in mind that as the magus, as the magician, um, when you, you know, open the circle, for example, I'm just using that terminology, it's really common, I personally don't use circles, but whatever, um, what's happening inside of that space is that you, like, you've opened up a microcosm that is a reflection of the macrocosm um, where you are chaos in this space um, and as you do your will in this space using all of the materia necessary um, it's meant to reflect the goings-ons of the macro okay so something to keep in mind some some 101s for you. I don't know if you heard my finger snaps. <laughs> you can't even see me pointing. Um, anyways, this is super bare bones, and the point of me sharing that um, is just so that if you're fresh as heck out of ideas and lacking inspiration, you have somewhere to start. And of course, of course, of course, I would also recommend looking deep into your own traditions. Something very interesting I picked up from reading, you know, various chaos magic texts was harnessing the power of emotion for the sake of um, gnosis and spellcraft in general. The idea that a powerful enough emotion can pull you into an altered state of consciousness um, is really interesting and so very true when you think about it. Um, and if you use those feelings both as a way to initiate gnosis, an altered state that is, excuse me, as well as a correspondent in the working that just is like fascinating and sounds incredibly effective to, effective to me um the, i've tried that once 
it didn't go so well. Uh, and the reason I haven't tried it since is mainly because that's just incredibly unwieldy to me. To, first of all, I'm not an angry person. Um, and that's just really scary to me to be that angry. That's really scary to me because I've seen what that kind of anger can do to people. Um, and I'm just using anger as an example because we're talking about baneful workings. And I imagine if you were doing some kind of curse on somebody, you would be mad at them or, you know, mad at them on someone else's behalf, depending on, you know, whatever the context. But I just mean to say that, sure, you know, you could feel something that's so powerful and moving that it pulls you out of consensus reality. And that's something many people experience, and it's a common experience. It's just to me, I can't imagine I would be able to um, wield that power effectively in a ritual setting because of the sheer magnitude of those kinds of feelings, it would be incredibly overwhelming, you know? And sure, I felt overwhelmed in ritual space before um, due to whatever transpersonal experience, you know, I can bring forth, call forth within me, but that's just different. That's sort of a side effect of the working and not like the core component of the working. Typically, um, the core of a working of mine will be chanting, gazing or scrying, I don't think that I could necessarily handle, like, the center of a working, um, like, the spark that lights the match of my intent to be, like, a powerful emotion like that. But I feel like I'm kind of rambling on. Um, so I'm gonna move forward. Personally, I think I've cursed somebody twice, if I remember correctly, once on purpose and once not so on purpose. I think we could learn something from um, each example, though, so I'll go through them. So the first time was incredibly unintentional. At the time, I was experimenting with um, energy work and psychic ability a lot. I would experiment with trying to fill a room with energy. Sorry, I had to check my phone. I'm recording this before I have to do something. Um... Where was I? So I was doing a lot of experiments throughout the day. Just in my daily life, I wanted to see if I could noticeably change the mood of others around me. If I could like make them happier, if I could make them more positive. Um, that kind of thing, you know? Um, or I would try to see if I could read people or their auras. Or if I could predict like small events like within the day. Um, it was very interesting. Um, and I was very intense and committed to it at the time. Um, I had some odd priorities, clearly because it was like in the middle of the day when I had stuff to do, but I don't know. It's whatever. It, this was a while ago, really while, a really long while ago, actually. Um, in one of my early classes, there was this kid I absolutely detested. I loathed them. They were loud and brash and rude and disruptive. And now that I think about it, I was probably a bit jealous of them. Anyways, so at the same time, I'm trying to see if I can make people happier on the bus this morning. You know, within the hour, I'm just sitting, um, observing this kid who I hated, who I just wished the worst for them. And I would, you know, spend lots of time focusing in my mind's eye about what I wanted to happen to them. And I had this mantra that I would say that, you know, 
I would just be so better off if they weren't around. If they just didn't have, if I never had to see them, if they just weren't in class, if they were gone, I'd be so much better off. And that's something that I just intensely focused on constantly, consistently, in fact. I was basically giving this kid the fucking evil eye. Um, I would stare at them most of the class and just see in my mind how I wished the absolute worst for this kid. And obviously, it's not exactly worth going into detail, you know, what exactly I was imagining. I already described to you the mantra, so I'm sure you can guess from there. But, you know, one morning I get to class, and then, you know, the next morning I get to class, and then the following morning, and I realize that I'm in kind of a good mood, considering that I hadn't been for a while because of this kid, and only to ho- overhear that, like, they got into a bunch of trouble and wouldn't be around for a while. Um, and I don't know. It was interesting. It was an interesting experience. Definitely I learned my lesson about messing with energy work when I am supposed to be doing other things, when I'm around people who don't exactly need me to be, you know, doing that at the at the time, right? I think something to consider is that this was something I definitely could have avoided if I wasn't being so... I wasn't so intent on being, you know, so fucking indulgent and messing around with, you know, like I said, energy magic in the middle of the day when I had stuff to be doing. Also, I think this is an extreme example of how people curse each other all the time. If you take time and attention to actively despise someone, that's its own kind of rudimentary curse. Call it the evil eye, or putting crosses on somebody, or malicing them. Maybe you just flip someone off as you're, you know, rushing past them in traffic. Uh, You tell somebody to go screw themselves when you're walking down the street. You know, these are all sort of, um, sort of the same as what I described, but definitely less powerful, less intense. And that's mainly due to less intent, or sorry, not less intent. It's really the same amount of intent. It's less, um, it's less, um focus you know it's less focused that's the word I was looking for I just had like a huge brain fart just then um it's less focus put behind them even if it's mostly the same kind of intent um and that's just interesting to think about the way that we malice each other all the time that's why I think folk traditions make much more space for baneful magic because that's really something that was recognized by our ancestors that like we malice each other all the time and we love each other and yeah we're all we all come from the same source blah 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 but we also like hate each other sometimes and we don't like each other and sometimes we don't want to be around each other and that's true too um so the next time uh, that I tried something like this. It was definitely more intentional and focused, um, and I gathered ingredients, and I did it at my altar at the time. Um, it was good, I guess. The main, the main thing to focus on was that the point was for you to intuit their true self at the time, and depict their, their true self in that moment, right? Um, which will no doubt be like some kind of corrupted human form because of the fact that I was, I had someone specific in mind who was like a grifter and an abuser. Um, so you depict their truest self. Um, and then there are some words, I think I grabbed the words from some like 
ancient Greek or Latin curse, um, which was really fun. And then some like pepper, you know, pepper is really traditional when it comes to this kind of thing. Um, and you then you like desecrate the image and then you do what it do with it what you wish for them, you know, that kind of thing. This was years ago. I don't remember everything in super great detail. I do have notes, but those are not in front of me. And frankly, I don't want to share every detail of what I did because it was kind of private, you know? Um, I was writing something last night and I just had this thought. And I was like, the idea of somebody walking in on me doing a ritual is like the idea of somebody walking in on me naked taking a fart. Like, in real life, I don't care about being naked and I don't care about farting, but other people, like, when I say that, I feel like people are like, oh yeah, 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 I totally get that feeling. That's how I feel, but only about people walking in on me doing rituals. Anyways, so, the reason I, I've mentioned a couple times about this spell that I just went over with you, that I'm not proud of it, is mainly because the intent was all the way wrong, okay? The first story I told you, I had a solid gold intent that made it so effective, um, but also it made it very, you know, sort of subconscious, right? Or um, it wasn't very intentional, I guess. Um, it wasn't perfect, but it was effective in the end. With the second one, I had all of this energy that I had raised, all of this chaos I built up, and I hadn't given it a clear intent. Basically, and this is so lame, I wanted the person to just feel bad for what they were doing. Um, not realizing that, first of all, people can be very good at hiding that they feel bad or guilty, especially abusers or grifter type of people. And second of all, even if they did feel bad and it was super obvious, that wouldn't necessarily make them stop doing the thing that I wanted them to stop doing. Um, please learn from my mistakes and consider that kind of thing while planning out a curse or jinx or whatever, right? And I'll give you a more clear example of what I mean here. Imagine you cast a love spell on me. You want to make me fall in love with you, and you want me to be expressively romantic in our, you know, relationship you're trying to manifest, okay? Even if the spell worked, even if the magic worked, and I did fall in love with you, that isn't how I love, personally. Generally speaking, I'm a subdued person when it comes to romance and romantic relationships, and I'm not very forthcoming with my emotions in any kind of relationship. Um, what then do you do? It's not as if you can do a spell to make me love you and then a series of spells following that to change all of these things about me. You wouldn't be able to harness enough chaos to do so. And what I mean by that, because um, I think it's pretty obvious I work from the perspective of a chaos magician, um, and so what I mean by that is that, you know, chaos is this perpetuating force of the universe. It, it moves things forward. It's the reason why things continue to happen, and as they continue to happen, they grow in complexity. That force is called chaos in chaos magic. Um, and so this force led me to be the kind of emotionally reserved person that I am. And that's a lot of chaos. People are very complicated. Our life circumstances are very, very complicated. Um, and to change this about me, you would need to match or surpass that same level of chaos in your working. Um, however, not only are people so complex, um, they're always 
ever-changing. So this basically, this hypothetical love spell that you would have to keep doing over and over to change every little thing about me would be would end up being a lifelong project that you would never be able to complete. Um, the more chaos involved in a situation, um, meaning the more complex it is, basically, the harder it is to match or surpass its level of chaos effectively, and by not direct chaos, but more like sort of in-between chaos, sort of in-between raw chaos and like, you know, material circumstances. Basically what I always refer to as the realm of the immaterial, right? That's where you work. You don't necessarily work in raw chaos as an occultist. But anyways, basically I'm going to keep going with where I'm going here though. So the more chaos involved in the situation, the harder it is to manipulate the realm of the material um, to, to bend the situation to your will effectively. You know, at least that's how I conceptualized magic based on everything that I've read and experienced. I think this is why it's easier to, like, curse your manager than it is to curse the person who owns the corporation who employs your manager, and it's easier to do that than it is to curse, you know, for the all of capitalism, for example. The entirety of capitalism, sorry. Um, think of it another way. This is the difference between $10 to a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars okay like you think that they're the similar this you think they're very similar they're not very similar though they're very different anyways the point being everybody expresses emotions and feelings um differently and that can affect the intended outcome of your working so please please keep that in mind at some point, I'll definitely make a follow-up episode on removing curses, and I guess I'll make one on love magic since that came up. Um, I'm actually quite shocked I haven't yet. Until then, that's about it for this episode of the show, and I hope you've enjoyed and appreciated our time together. If you'd like to get into contact with me in between episodes, please feel free to find me on Instagram as Rhea.Rising and on YouTube as Rhea because I also make YouTube videos for your viewing pleasure. Um, and I guess for my pleasure as well. Gotta admit that I wouldn't make them if I thought they were not fun to make. Uh, you can also email me at BabylonRisingPodcast at gmail.com. And until then, my lovely luminaries, Abe Babylon. <laughs>